This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Case van der Pale, thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> thank you for having me. I say the trenches because it feels like we are in a war. Are we in a war? Yes, I'm afraid so. We're, we're in a war in the sense that um, George Orwell highlighted, you know, that modern war is about um, preserving the, the structure of society and not so much about defeating an external enemy. Although the, the narrative of an external enemy is, of course, an important part of creating the tension in which you can manipulate and discipline people. In that sense, we are in a war. What do you mean by uh, that external enemy? Uh, who is the enemy? Well, we're, we're just in a transition uh, because the real war, the essential war, is a, is a class war. Uh, between a, an oligarchy which which feels endangered although many people wonder what is actually so dangerous to them but at the moment uh, they are in a very precarious position because uh, in the information revolution uh, which some people have compared to the invention of book printing at the end of the Middle Ages the information revolution potentially heralds a new age of, of deeper democracy and, and uh, incredible potentiality of, of people having, well, being in touch with each other the way we are now. Uh, and and that that's constitutes a serious danger to the ruling class and the ruling system. So what they have launched, in my view, is, is a, a preventive counter-revolution. And that is a war against the population. And this is a real war because uh, people are dying uh, and, and many more will in, in the near future, I'm afraid. I'm not saying it with any uh, you know, glee or, or whatever. This a terrible tragedy is, is unfolding. But we are in a transitional phase because there's also an external enemy. And that for us is Russia. So Russia is currently being demonized. And, and I think, although it's a difficult uh, argument, but I, I think you have to see that um, creating, uh, activating this external enemy is part of maintaining the tension in which society has been thrown since, well, almost two years with the, with the so-called pandemic. Uh, so it's not an easy situation. It's also not something that, that was arranged by some all-powerful set of people. It's an objective historical conjuncture in which many different uh, elements enter. So it's, it's also contradictory. It's, it's, it cannot remain static. Uh, but the, the essence is, is a class war. Uh, if, if you think of, uh, of Canada now, you know, with these truckers, which is echoing across the continent, that, that, that highlights that we are in a very fluid and dynamic situation, full of dangers. 
you've said before that this class structure, particularly that of the the oligarchy, um, is fluid. It's not static, which yeah. which which would mean that it's very hard to pin down uh, specific actors. Yeah. Well, s some names, of course, immediately come to mind, like like Bill Gates, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Well. Schwab is more uh, sort of secretary to the whole operation. You know, mm -hmm. so, sometimes he does what he's told, uh, sometimes he doesn't. But he also has his own training uh, ground in which uh, new leaders are, are groomed for future roles. And But that is also being exposed now at the same time. And, and that adds to the fluidity of the whole situation. Um, so... I, I don't think it will be easy for the World Economic Forum, which is Klaus Schwab's organization, to simply deliver the next the next crop of world leaders. Now that the current crop with Macron and Trudeau, etc., have been so much exposed by by uh, well people like yourself, you know, uh, people, the bloggers, uh, the people who provide us with the, the real insight behind the news. You've said that this, uh, this, this pseudo pandemic, I, I agree with you, I don't think it's a real pandemic. Um, but you've said that this pseudo pandemic is basically a cover for a global seizure of power. What do you mean yeah. by that? Well, um, it's it's not a real pandemic in the sense that we we don't have enormous numbers of evident um, victims, but we also shouldn't forget that we're talking about something that really produced, uh, at least in March April twenty twenty, uh, high numbers of people who fell ill, and that is because. Um, Certain laboratories were, were experimenting with uh, varieties of viruses. Here in, in Holland, we actually have uh, a laboratory in Rotterdam, one, the second largest city of the country. And in the heart of the city, there's a, um, a, high, a laboratory with a high safety level, which means that they do da very dangerous things. And the people who are leading that laboratory actually are closely involved in the set of people around Anthony Fauci and others who were experimenting with um, viruses to be used as part of um, biological warfare. And that, that of course, is, a, is an undertaking which is centered on the United States. Um, The, uh, apparently, um, the engineered virus that that they were working on, or basically it was a virus which was already engineered and which which they were combining with a uh, an, uh, a genetically manipulated uh, spike protein, uh, escaped from uh, in one way or another escaped from a laboratory before it had achieved the form in which they hoped to have a, a usable, well, there I have to speculate, either a biological weapon or something that they could use to develop a vaccine from. Um, but it prematurely escaped. 
uh, and it caused a small uh, uh, epidemic uh, which caused people to really become very ill because it was engineered to affect your lungs in a particularly nasty way. Uh, but after some time, uh, like all viruses, this virus began to mutate away from that original half-developed form into something that you gave us from South Africa, uh, the Omicron var variant, as they call it, which is, pretty, yeah, <laughs> which, which is a pretty innocuous uh, flu-like, you know, just like a cold. Um, um, so in, in that sense, there is something really there, because if you say yeah. oh, it's, it's all fake, then uh, your story collapses the moment you meet somebody who, was, who has really been very ill. But that is well behind us. When you we, say that... Where, they, where they're artificially inflating the danger that, that has been there briefly. Mm. When you say vaccine, though, do you, do you mean it in inverted commas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a, it's an it's a, it's a genetically modified virus that is used uh, to transport a genetically modified spike protein into people. Why they do that, I'm I'm still trying to find out. But I I have to add immediately that I'm a political scientist and economist or what have you, and and not a virological specialists although of course while working on these things you in the last two years um in, inevitably you pick up a lot of things i read many books about mm. vir, vir, evolution viruses in evolution uh, the manipulation of viruses in as part of biological warfare South Africa actually had, had its own laboratory the, yes but they they gave that away to the United States when uh, apartheid uh, collapsed. Is this supposed health crisis um, a proxy into the introduction of a new digital control grid? Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, as I say, it's it's a it's best understood as a preventive counter revolution. So. The revolution is not yet there. There's, there are all kinds of unrest. People are dissatisfied, especially after 2008, when the whole financial system basically collapsed. Um, every country has seen its own, almost every country has seen its own unrest, whether it's a regional secessionist movement, whether it's uh, well, classical class struggle in the sense of people getting too poor to to normally to live normally and so on and so forth so uh, but before that could assume a an organized political form in in the way that the 19th century produced an organized labor movement which which aimed for a socialist society etc etc before this round of unrest could assume such a, a progressive uh, political form, the ruling classes intervened and they had been planning, or better, better said, they had been exploring ways of using a politics of fear to kick people into line. And, and what we're now seeing is, is one uh, edition of, uh, of such a politics of fear 
uh, this time constructed around something that people early on recognized. I mean, ruling the ruling uh, strata early on recognized as an, a very effective way of making people obey the rules, which is what they're doing now on a scale that probably with an intensity and a depth that probably surprised many of the people who are behind launching the whole operation that people will be so so obedient so gullible that that is something uh, unforeseen and it's weird how gullible people have been why do you think that is well um first of all because fear uh, whether it's fear of natural disaster, fear of war, fear in this case of a, of a medical emergency, uh, makes people, um, mm. robs people of their capacity to think clearly. Also, you have you have the effect of mass a mass response. You know, you see, uh, the, once there was a famous advert in the Financial Times, uh, which said. Uh, People will do anything they see other people do, and uh, it's interesting that a journal, that a newspaper like that would ha would carry a page size advert with the, only that text, and and I think that was many years ago, but that is just what's happening. And and then you have national traditions, so you have uh, countries with a strong state in which. Uh, like Britain, for instance, if, if this, uh, I worked in Britain and, and one of the things for me as a Dutchman that you experience early on is that people are extremely obedient when, when the authorities say this or that, you do it. And people compare that often with a nanny, uh, the, the role of the nanny in British education. You know, little children have to do what the nanny says. Here in Holland, it's more a sort of calculating attitude that you, you, you think, well, it's probably going this or that direction. I better join uh, the crowd. And every country then has a, has a different attitude. Sometimes I think that at this moment, we are being saved by the federal countries like uh, Canada, United States. Well, not Germany, unfortunately, but it's very interesting to see that in the COVID crisis, the federal system of Germany has pretty much been replaced by a unitary state again. But in, in Canada, for instance, now probably under the impact of the truckers uh, movement, uh, the prime minister of the state of Alberta has decided that uh, in that state, uh, the measures uh, like uh, COVID pass and so on will be dropped. You mentioned Russia earlier um, and I it made me realize that the, the USSR were masters of demoralizing the population and getting them into a place of compliance. Um, do you think that those strategies are being used, um, whether, whether by design or by emergence um, around the world at the moment? Well, <clears throat> the, the ideological uh, capacity of, of the Soviet system was child's play compared to what we are exposed to now. It's very important to see. I mean, in, in, the, in the former Soviet Union, nobody believed what the government said. And, and that's still the case. I mean, uh, you have the Edelman 
trust barometer, which is a yearly assessment of to what de of the degree to which uh, a population actually believes the mainstream media, the the government. And if you look at the figures, uh, you know they are all very interesting in many ways. Uh, but if you look at the figures for Russia and China, uh, you would almost conclude that there's no point there for the government to make any statement still today or for any mainstream newspaper or news channels to come out with any news because people won't believe it anyway. So there's an enormous, the figures are unbelievably low. Uh, and, th and that reflects a long experience with uh, state socialism. But don't forget that here in Europe, it is also mainly countries with a state socialist background, so the countries of Eastern Europe, for instance, who have now joined uh, the European Union, who in a way are our best hope, because um, a country like Bulgaria, uh, to some extent Poland, uh, they, they are, they are, the population is much more skeptical uh, mm. of what the government is telling them about the so-called pandemic than here in the Netherlands or Belgium or or even France, which is a country with an enormous revolutionary tradition. Mm. And yet people there are more gullible on, on this issue than the, some of the people in Eastern Europe. In, in Germany, for instance, it's fascinating to see that the, the liveliest demonstrations and, uh, and protests are in the former German Democratic Republic. Mm. And that is because people are much more skeptical uh, to what they can expect from uh, those that they are governed by. It's a very interesting study on psychology, I suppose, for future for future psychologists yeah. as yeah. to what as to what has transpired over the last two years. You were talking about the, the European Union a moment ago, and I was I was immediately reminded of the Ukraine who want to join the eu but again russia is now involved yeah well you know i i studied that fairly closely because two years ago i, I wrote a book on uh, on the new cold war uh, and and uh, more particularly the situation in ukraine the way the seizure of power was organized in 2014 mainly by the united states and how the ensuing civil war uh, then led to the um, downing of uh, Malaysia Airlines flight MH17. So I'm, I'm reasonably familiar with uh, uh, with that area. And um, actually, yesterday I, I was in a in a broadcast here on one of the alternative channels on the new tension between Ukraine and. Not really between Ukraine, but between the West and NATO, uh, using Ukraine to try and provoke uh, Russia into into mm -hmm. a fight that has to do with gas and with 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 all kind of other things. Um, but as I say, uh, Eastern Europe is is uh, well. What Alberta now is for the Canadians and and Florida for the United States and so on and so forth on this issue. And that is that the variety uh, and the differences um, uh, between different parts of a, of a federate federation or a confederation 
may be our uh, may, may be saving us. But you know, when you when you said uh, in, in some time from now, it, it will be interesting to reflect on what happened these two years. You are almost assuming something that I fear is not a given, and that is that there will be a period in which everything will fall in place again. Uh, and, and that is exactly what what is least what what you can least expect because um, we are in a in a in a situation in which on a world scale there's something like three hundred eighty percent of global uh, of global product is now debt so the global debt that that is outstanding is is three hundred and eighty percent of what the world produces, and that means that that uh, the system, the capitalist system, which which all countries have now joined uh, out of enthusiasm or simply because there's no, they see no alternative. All countries are faced with with an impossible situation because debt levels are unsustainably high mm. but the normal response to that is to raise interest rate but that's not possible uh, because uh, that would bankrupt uh, the world uh, that that would mean that that uh, all kinds of essential activities would collapse and, and and basically we're talking about the supply of food 2008 had as one of its uh, characteristics you know the crisis at that time there were food riots in something like 25 or six countries, uh, you know, uh, tortilla riots in, in Mexico, uh, rice riots in Southeast Asia, every, every area of the world, its own staple food mm. uh, was, was in short supply for that had to do with speculative uh, speculation on, on food markets, on grain markets, etc. People have forgotten that, but that was one of the one of the forms of unrest that demanded a, a more or less immediate response, and and that is why from two thousand eight, uh, the quest for a, something like a global, a worldwide seizure of power seriously began. But I, I'm not saying that from day one they realized this would have to be something in the in the medical area, you know, a, a, a con, contrived um, medical crisis. That was just one of the options that was being investigated. Uh, a serious war. What do you think of the war on terror, which is also a largely artificial, uh, yeah. contrived? A situation which was mostly manipulated to generate fear and to to kick people into line, and and at first it was very successful. PJ, who's watching uh, or listening right now from Johannesburg, um, he just wants to know: Do you think that the threats that are occurring right now between Russia and the Ukraine are a false flag operation? Well, a, f a false flag would always have to be uh, a concrete incident. Uh, I, I think what's happening now, in in um, even in the book that I wrote in uh, in two thousand seventeen eighteen, so it was published in eighteen. Uh, I already mentioned that uh, an, 
was very likely that after the pro-Western turn of Ukraine, following the seizure of power in 2014, that at some point the crisis would deepen to such an extent, and by crisis I mean the, you know, the, the aggravation of um, condition, conditions of life for normal people, that they would be looking again at a turn back to Russia. And there are politicians, even in spite of uh, persecution and absurd language measures and so on, there are politicians waiting in the wings to take over from Zelensky. You know, Zelensky, the current president, who, who's, who's a complete fake figure in, as, as a politician. And uh, so there are pro-Russian, uh, or at least there are politicians who are again opting for a normalization with the relation with Russia. And I'm, I think that uh, the, uh, the West, so mainly the United States and NATO, and Europe merely stepping in line, are uh, want to respond to a return of Ukraine to a normal relation with Russia as a consequence of the change of power in Kiev uh, to construct that as a Russian intervention. <coughs> Sorry. And, and well, you can call that a false flag, but that's a bit of an awkward term for what under normal circumstances would simply be a change of outlook, which has taken place in Ukraine at least four times since independence, you know, first to the West and back to Russia again and so on. Um, that, 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 in my view, is the most likely scenario. So they are fearful uh, of, of a, uh, a turn back to the East because the promises of the West have all turned out to be fake. And uh, trade advantages, etc., all fake. So people are not crazy there. And, and they realize that it's better to normalize. Well, they, of course, is too gross. There, there are many different currents in that society, very serious cleavages in, in the whole national makeup. Um, but that's, that's my view. It, it may also be that something blows up, or, 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 but they wouldn't shoot down another passenger plane because that's mm -hmm. usually not... Just like we, you don't fly into the Twin Towers once again because that story has already been told. It would remove the spontaneous aspect. But, but these are largely staged staged events. Uh, mm. that, that's very difficult. To, people can't believe that such tragic events um, had, had, been, had been staged because then uh, people can't believe that yes. uh, a, a government would kill its own subjects for instance but but uh, you have to realize that every war is mass murder of your own citizens among others so it's not so crazy to think that uh, um, you know, it, uh, it's definitely not crazy i mean think about rwanda i mean that was rwanda. that was definite government involvement oh yes 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 well, not only the Rwandan government, of course, mm. but also the surrounding Uganda and, mm. and behind it, the United States, trying to roll back French-speaking influence. All these, all these factors. Well, you you know more about yeah. that. Well, than I. Do you think that there is a very big disconnect 
between the global elites and us lowly peasants yeah 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 but but uh that's to their disadvantage i mean if if uh, okay yeah if if a if a government is no longer interested in the opinions and the experience of a large part of their own intellectual and artistic and and you know cultural uh, elites or counteries however you want to label them it it robs itself of the ability to engage with with uh, different groups in society etc and and that's that's what's happening now i mean I, I suppose that you as much as i will follow closely what our rulers are thinking and doing planning and so on mm. if it if it's not reciprocated by their interests in what the other side is doing except in a police sense uh, they they become immobile they they become inflexible and i i met people a few times in germany who had lived through the end of the german democratic republic so state socialist east and they told me that uh, the f- the features they see now in the west german political system resemble closely uh, east germany uh, and that is inflexibility impossibility to improvise uh dogmatism of all you know of, of a of a paralyzing kind um and i think that's what's happening now in in the in the entire west there's no creative forward looking mm-hmm. leadership to be identified anywhere uh, there's no you, you mention a go- can you mention a government uh which even can be compared to let's say gaullist france or or italy under moro or you know where where at least there was a willingness to engage in a new uh departures in in politics there's nothing so in that sense we're looking at a very much paralyzed political system why do you think that is because the 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 uh, the machine that should keep it all rolling has has stalled you know the the economy is no longer functioning people are are now predicting that there will be shortages of food I have friends who, uh, one, one friend actually collected a whole cellar full of hard liquor because he said that in a, cri- in a crisis that will be good, uh, you know, to, to exchange against food or, or but, but th- that gives you a sense that, that some people really, uh, well, uh, we ourselves are stacking up a little bit with beans or, but that's just for a week or actually angela merkel the former chancellor of germany uh, advised people to begin uh, stocking up food for at least 10 days she never said why but but that helped of course to create a sort of unrest and fear of the future and and i think that that the intuition of people not not the intellect but the intuition of people usually points in the right direction People are not crazy. Even they may be uneducated, etc. But they usually have a good sense of what is in the air. And if if so many people think there is a, yeah, there are all kind of disasters waiting for us, 
just in the next round. You know, that's why why, why I said your idea of that we will be looking you you and I with a glass looking back on mm. on what happened in 2020 2022 that period probably will not arrive we, we we will move now from one crisis to the next and what we can only hope for is that some sure. sort of alternative will crystallize and and allow society a way out of the quagmire that we're in oh that's very sobering what you're saying well i i, I hope i'm wrong I hope you were right by by promising this period of uh, reflection and looking back and uh, you know smiling about it. Although it will never be a real smile because too much has happened to to the children, for instance. Do if, you think? If I just think oh, sorry, if, I'm so sorry. Think, go on, go on, go on. No, no, no. I, I shouldn't be talking all the time. But if you just think of two years, what two years mean, when I when I. Mm. Uh, back of my of my late school days in two years I changed from a schoolboy to a student I, I was in the military service for for one and a half year so these are periods in which you change fundamentally at that age at my age now I can sit out uh, a lockdown from now to 2030 and and basically haven't lost anything because I'm not changing anymore mm. but what is being done to the young is un- indescribable what is being done to the little children who have to wear masks and so on. I don't have to tell you that that's an absolute crime against humanity. Just by the way, please do speak a lot. No, uh, no, no. My, my wife warned me that that with Vroj uh, uh, Moric, I, I I was uh, giving these long lectures. And <laughs> I, I well, answer, I mean, your questions are very opposite, and I, I should answer them. No, um, I invited you to to listen to you talk. So by all means, talk. Okay, so you mentioned um, crime against humanity, and what's what's very interesting is that it really is that this is a yeah. global thing. I never thought the day would come where I'm on the bottom tip of the African continent, you're somewhere in Europe, and somebody else in the United States all have exactly the same story. Did you yeah. ever foresee this? No. Well, uh, yes and no. So, so no in the sense that that I never expected it to become real. But on the other hand, I must confess that from my earliest work in the 1970s, I wrote about transnational classes, you know, about groups that tra- were transcending the national state uh, and, and exercising power on an international level in the sense that, you know, uh, of my first book was about uh, the origins of the European Union and the coal and steel community. And my first book in English was called The Making of an Atlantic Ruling Class. So it was not a ruling class in every country separately, but the ruling class of every separate country was a, f- a sort of fraction, a group, a subgroup of, a, of a, an immanent transnational class mm. of course the national setting of course always remains it still remains important today but it's no longer disconnected uh, it's it's deeply integrated into um, transnational forces and now for the first time uh, a transnational power grid has imposed itself through um, the world health organization 
with in the background, of course, Bill Gates and, and the Gates Foundation and all the pharmaceutical interests, uh, the IT sector, which is a truly global uh, network, and so on and so forth. The World Economic Forum, the, all these commissions like the Trilateral Commission, um, they're all involved and they're, they're all uh, cogwheels in, in, yeah. in a large machine, which of course is creaking on all sides. It's not, it's not really working. It will explode at some point. But the question is whether we have an alternative, whether there is a we to speak of. Is there an alternative? And is there a we? Yeah, yeah. Well, in my in my in my uh, latest book, this this uh, which in English is states of emergency, mm. uh, which is about the pandemic. The last chapter is about uh, something like direct democracy, uh, radical democracy, and digital planning, something like that, and. I do think that that there were elements in the in the state socialist tradition that already prefigured, and and it also was evident in Chile under Allende, that prefigured the use of digital technology to streamline an economy in such a way that it would be immediately responsive to popular uh, preferences and demand. And you can easily expand that to include the political system so that every vote for, for those who are interested in it, uh, every vote will be immediately uh, transmitted through your screen and, and you can take part in it and so on and so forth. So let's say the philosophical aspect of that is that the um, contradiction between determinism so, so the fact that everything is arranged for you and the forces that drive you are always higher and powerful than more powerful than yourself and individual freedom are for the first time being um, synthesized into a single process by the digital revolution, the information technology revolution. That makes it possible to maximize individual freedom uh, and uh, yet contribute to something collective, uh, you know. So collective values and individual values are no longer, as they were in, in the state socialist experience, uh, contradict, uh, contradicting each other. Just as, as, as a, a truly liberal society would end in anarchy. Uh, and the state socialist uh, experience ended in a rigid uh, freezing of all social initiative you know in, in in the soviet union if you had a good idea on your job uh, you would be uh, put in jail for sabotaging the plan now today it's no longer necessary to have that that uh, dilemma uh, i mean i'm not belittling all kind of practical problems but enormous leaps forward can be made thanks to what is the it revolution you know, the information technology revolution. But it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because before, before that can take a democratic form for, for which society is completely unprepared, for we, even people like myself who are thinking about it only have the most rudimentary ideas. Mm. Before that can take a democratic form, the ruling class or the ruling oligarchy, which today is a very small set of people at the top, have somehow decided 
but decided is a dangerous term because it suggests one table with six people around it. But somehow the the system, the, the system's response has been to prevent a democratic interpretation of these new possibilities and to turn it instead into a, a China-like uh, surveillance society. That that is that is what we are in. And and you began by asking. You know what? What is the seizure of power? Well, this is the seizure of power. It's it's cutting across the the half half thought through democratic potential and imposing, yeah, probably a final form of, um, yeah, capitalist control society. Uh, is on it? On, is on the China world. is China the trailer to the movie? Is it is it what we see before yeah. the main act? Well, you can see that you have to find uh, short captions under your drawings, and this is an excellent. This is an excellent one. The trailer for uh, for the COVID movie. Yeah, yeah, I think it it's that is very well put. Uh, China is not innocent in. Uh, well, that is put it mildly. Uh, China, in many ways, is the is a precursor of what's happening now on a world scale, but. The, the, the fascinating and interesting and also frightening thing is that at the same time, of course, China is seen as an enemy. It's not yet built up as an enemy in every respect to the West, but the, the trend is clear. It's becoming less and less friendly. Now, that's very strange that, that a country that we want to follow in one respect, which is the control society, is at the same time seen as a threat. So. There are many statements that I quote in the book by people like uh, Eric Schmidt of Google, who says China is running ahead of us with these control possibilities. And therefore, we have to use and develop uh, artificial intelligence in the same way that they are doing, you know, facial recognition, you name it. And that and that is that is going on. But uh, yes, you're, you're right. It's a trailer for for a main movie but it won't be a pleasant movie it will be a war movie i'm afraid a horror film <laughs> yeah exactly exactly how how powerful is the oligarchy the, the 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 global elites uh and i'm asking that not to be facetious i'm actually asking are they all that powerful or are they only in that position of power because we the people allow it yeah well the, the the last sentence is the right assessment because um you could you can sum up the 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 near the well the trillions of dollars that are now controlled by and then i can you know blackrock and that sort of thing bill gates with his foundation bezos and yet um a few hundred or thousands truckers in Canada can block uh, their power. So it's it's once the spell is broken, and 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 people are able to imagine because that's a precondition to imagine a state of affairs that is different from the one that's now being imposed on us. We're looking at a different, uh, a fundamentally different situation. But there's a famous Italian writer. Uh, Lo Surdo, and he published a book last year, which is called Revolution Without Revolutionaries. 
and, and that also sums up the current situation. There are no Lenins or, or Bukharians or Trotsky around who, who capture the situation and who are also playing a political role in the sense that they are able to condense their analysis of the situation into slogans that will mobilize uh, people's imagination, uh, train them into thinking in a certain direction. Um, maybe, maybe it's also wrong to expect that, that we, we will have to wait for an exact repetition of what produced the first round of socialism, which ended in dictatorial state socialism, etc., and, and went under as a result because it was weaker than what capitalism could still mobilize uh, from its own uh, uh, system and, and from the parts of the world it controlled. Uh, it may be that uh, even a fundamental change now will not be dependent on, on a creative leadership or, or you know geniuses who lead the masses, but on something that kept captivates the masses themselves and, and the IT revolution should be um, important in that respect. Don't forget something like Joe Rogan, you know. He's not Lenin and he's not Trotsky either. He's an ex-boxer, if I, if I correctly understand. And yet this man has succeeded in captivating an audience simply by letting other people speak and, and you know, stimulating them to come forward with all kinds of views. Now, that, it may well be that these are new forms of mass mobilization that don't rely on a passive mass of followers, but one way or another, uh, what you do, what uh, Vroje Morix uh, do, and many others, uh, works to activate thinking of a large mass of people who are, in that sense, no longer a mass. Their, their creativity, their ability to think for themselves, etc., is stimulated by a non-dogmatic way of opening up uh, the real situation, trying to, to get um, a perspective on, on, on what's happening and what is possible. How important is artificial intelligence to them in this new world order that definitely seems to be arriving? Well, it's it's not it is extremely important for them, but it's also extremely important for us in the sense that if you look around you and and you see uh, all people, young and old, walking around with their phone, you know, uh, in front of them, their their, their smartphone, uh, it means that uh, also having having a laptop. I, I mean, I'm doing research on all kind of things. It's amazing that things for which you would have to spend a year in libraries and archives, now you do it in, in an afternoon and you almost have the same quality of, of sources uh, available. Now, that is artificial intelligence. Of course, artificial intelligence also means that the machine does certain things for you, uh, etc. And you probably know the film uh, 2001 of Stanley Kubrick that at some point the machine takes over. And um, the, uh, the current ruling class wants the 2001 scenario to work for them. And they want HAL, the supercomputer, uh, to uh, take control of the spaceship in which we are all traveling. Whereas uh, you and I, 
I assume, would prefer that our own creative abilities um, take uh, control of the machine. So that on the one hand, we have this enormous control of facts and figures that is at our fingertips. But on the other hand, it would still be led by our quest for civilization, our, our hope for or, uh, relations among people and so on and so forth. Now I won't break down crying now, but you see, you see the point. Mm. Um, also, uh, James Lovelock in his uh, last book, his final book, we may assume, because he has uh, reached the age of 100. Uh, he says that intuition, human intuition, which will always remain superior to even the most developed um artificial intelligence because intuition cuts right through a problem just simply based on feeling you feel something is not right and no machine has been developed as far as i know that can remotely do something like that it it can work through facts and figures at at a, an amazing speed which is beyond our understanding but it cannot feel it cannot draw moral conclusions the way you and I can. And, and and part of that, though, is also a requirement for us humans to walk in step with what they yeah. want. Uh, the Arab Springs, I know you, you, you mentioned once yeah, before, yeah, they, yeah, 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 they, yeah. Don't, they don't want that to happen again. Uh, no. Uh, and, and I must say that uh, when I look at uh, what's happening in Canada... Um, if you see the images of people dancing in Ottawa and so on, not just the truckers, but the entire population drawn into the process, you know, the, the truckers organizing uh, food for the poor of, of uh, one of the richest cities of the world. Uh, my first response was, this is like uh, Cairo in, in uh, 2013. So... Uh, it's, it's a dangerous habit of thinking that events of that nature can only happen in the faraway third world and, and not uh, in areas where you have expensive cars on every street corner. Mm. You know, our, our world now is also drawn into the turmoil of, of the transition to a new society, except our, our tragedy is we know very little of that new society. Much more will have to be done. Otherwise, we remain stuck in that revolution without revolutionaries. I just finished reading. Um, and when I say just finished, I mean last week. I finished reading uh, Saul Alinsky's book, uh, Rules for Radicals, um, which seems very pertinent now, even though he wrote it, I think, what, 50 years ago or so. Um, oh. It's a phenomenal read. And, and and it seems more relevant now than it, than it, than it ever has been. Do you think that people need to adopt a mindset of radicalism um, going forward? Yeah, but uh, that that is so. But well, radical is you know going to the root of things is always good. But radical in the sense of uh, ideological um, fanaticism. And, and uh, uh, an over overconfidence in, in abstractions. Uh, you know, already in, in Plato's days, in ancient Greece, people warned against intellectuals taking over society. 
and and uh, because they they tend to follow uh, abstract ideas and then to impose them on on a society and society is always concrete and endlessly varied and and so on and so forth. So in that sense, we have to. Uh, I'm reading actually uh, the history of the Russian Revolution and you know how Stalin came to power and, and that sort of a whole pile of books that I. I wanted to look at again, uh, and and one of the things that you see there is how how uh, something authentic was captured by by an elite which believed in a set of ideas that were rigidified, as they had to be disseminated to all kind of followers and cadre and etc. And that that condemned it condemned it to a loss of creativity and mm -hmm. and uh, stagnation. So in that sense, uh, yes, we have to be radical, but we are especially, we have to be radical in our humanity. That means the, the ability to engage with people who, I, I, I mean, I look, I look at my own experience. I was in the Communist Party and, uh, you know, we had, we had very rigid ideas about our enemies, uh, class enemies. And... Um, I'm now experiencing in the current situation that the labels of left and right are beginning to become uh, rather fluid. I mean, they, they, don't, they still exist. I mean, progressive versus reactionary uh, and conservative still exist. But the, the open-mindedness towards people who, do, who have a different view of life has increased for me has increased in the current crisis i've mm. i've met I, i'm a speaker you know here in the the covid resistance from time to time and then i come in 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 factories and the factory owner is on our side now in my communist days that was impossible because the factory mm. owner had to be expropriated <laughs> whereas now i realize that enterprise is a form of creativity and by enterprise, I mean that you really come up with an idea, you do something with it, and, and of course you have certain, uh, you have a profit from that. Where mm -hmm. it goes wrong is when your children, who perhaps have never done anything useful in their whole life, start their life with uh, two million in the bank, whereas uh, uh, a fellow next door starts with nothing or with a student loan debt. Uh, so you see, there, there are, of course, real problems that still have to do with property rights and, and so on and so forth. But the idea of creativity and enterprise would have worked very well, for instance, in the Soviet experience, had, had they not been victim of their own rigid understanding of what a capitalist was. Just as yeah. religion has to be accepted, you know, if, if people do the innocent thing of believing in, in an afterlife and whatever, we should simply respect that on human grounds yes. and not, as the Soviet Union did, campaign actively and, you know, tear down churches and this and that. Of course, yeah, it's, it's more complex, but you see the point. Mm, no, definitely. And I, I wanted to say that I am, I've been a staunch capitalist for many years and I am so disillusioned because what I have seen in the last two years has been disgraceful. Um, yeah. What I've seen has been what appears to be some sort of public-private partnership between uh, capitalist entities, massive corporations like Pfizer 
and of course Google and Facebook. These are all private companies. Yeah. Um, but creating these these, in my view, satanic slash evil partnerships with governments, is my yeah. assessment is my assessment correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the whole idea of public private partnership is to to cushion the operation of of private companies from any downturn, because as as soon as they don't. I mean, look at what's happening now with uh, companies like Pfizer, who, who are making trillions in in forcing the sale of, of their so-called vaccines on the world population with the help of of complicit uh, government leaders like like uh, uh, von der Leyen, you know, the, the lady who has who's the head of the European Commission. Um, and, and, and many others like the prime minister of uh, I, I read that uh, 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 what's her name uh, Jacinda Ahern, the oh, prime yeah. minister of New Zealand, is uh, had eight had a fortune of eight hundred thousand last year, which she expanded this year. I suppose through uh, entrepreneurship to twenty five million. So these people are simply being bought, and private public, uh, but. but means that that the ability of the state to discipline the population to keep them in line etc is placed at the in the service of these private companies and and any any measure of distance between uh, capital and and the state is removed and and suspended and that means also that democracy for any meaningful sense mm. has been abolished and that's what we are experiencing today Yes, I 100% agree. Do you think that um, COVID-19 is a Trojan horse for um, the arrival of technocracy or what global global governance? Oh yeah, or, or something that, that's along those lines. What it, yeah, that's certainly what it's meant to achieve. But I, it is unraveling now. Although it would be premature to think that basically in in a few months time everything will return to normal that uh, that's an illusion but it's obvious that that's the illusion and the whole plan behind it you know and it's working beyond expectations so uh, it it sounds like you're saying it's a long game yes because the game started not in 2020 but in 20 uh, in uh, 28 you know with the financial collapse Mm. And 2010, when the first signs of uh, that the population became restive on a on a world scale, uh, and from that time on, um, don't forget that the, that even in the medical field, the redefinition, the downgrading of a definition of what a pandemic is, uh, <laughs> occurred in 2009. So there were powerful forces already thinking along these lines, but at the time of the so-called swine flu. Uh, epidemic, which in the end killed fewer than 1,000 uh, people. Uh, even at that time, there, there were people who were thinking in applying uh, a medical emergency uh, to, well, to force uh, people into line. 2010 was the year of the famous uh, Rockefeller scenario of uh, the lockstep. Society, you know, people always say, well, that's a conspiracy theory. Yes, that, that was a conspiracy because if you read it and you see what is happening now, your mouth falls open. How is it possible that what is happening now could be so 
much in detail predicted at that time. So, of course, uh, uh, these institutions, which have an enormous uh, ability to impose their ideas through all kinds of channels, uh, they are constantly thinking about uh, scenarios. The whole idea of a scenario, you know, you roll mm. out some story and it catches on or it doesn't. But if it catches on, as it does now in the in the COVID crisis, you have five more years to follow your own uh, ideas. And, and uh, again, that's what's happening now. And we're in the midst of it. People are dying. Uh, children's lives are being destroyed. The young are, are being demoralized. But on the other hand, we also have uh, lawyers like uh, Rainer Fröhlich here. I, I don't know whether you heard his name. He, he is preparing this large-scale lawsuit. Grand jury. Against... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that that can actually be a formal, a formal uh, law uh, at the a formal procedure in the uh, International Criminal Court or the European Court of Human Rights. What can we do? on a daily basis to, to, to push back? Well, first of all, not not play along. So I've never worn a face mask, although it's mandatory here in shops. Um, uh, well, I, I, I don't want to cast myself as a resistance hero on, on that ground, on that ground, but uh, refusing uh, vaccination, that sort of thing. But at the same time, and, and that also has to do with the human side of things. Many people have, out of ignorance or even out of other uh, considerations, allowed themselves to be vaccinated. And I think it's one of the duties now of, of all um, progressive people to begin thinking about what we can do about the billions several billions of people who now have been inoculated with life-threatening vaccines, so-called vaccines. Um, I've heard that, for instance, ivermectin, the Japanese-invented uh, wonder drug in this respect, uh, can also help against the consequences of uh, vaccination, although I'm not sure about that, but other people will. Um, and um, one of the good things of the what's happening in Canada now and everywhere is that uh, people stand side by side uh, in demonstrations, so-called vaccinated and so-called unvaccinated, because they don't want an apartheid state. Well, I'm talking to somebody who comes out of uh, that world, and you know what it means. And well, only Israel now remains as an as a, as a, uh, apartheid okay. state uh, in that literal sense. But uh, the COVID crisis, of course, is, is threatening the whole world with uh, this apartheid. I mean, do you think do you think that in South Africa, the millions and millions of South Africans who had to carry a pass just just a, sh a short few decades ago, do you think they're going to be willing to carry a pass again? Well, uh, I should ask you. I can't I, believe it. it they, they will have the same attitude that people in Eastern Europe have. And that they already they they are too wary of what what the government wants to do with them once mm. that sort of control mechanisms are being put in place. Do you think another important uh, pushback is to uh, try to try to get off the control grid by getting into parallel structures, supporting local 
farmers, local butchers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's 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 in full swing here. So, uh, but you know, we 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 can't set up a parallel uh, uh, blast furnace and make our own steel. So there there are limits to. Uh, it's it's of course great to have your some of your food uh, grow, bought directly from the farmer, especially since the farmers are a hard pressed category. Uh, here too, you know, basically the, the government wants the land to throw the farmers off and build houses on it and, uh, and so on and so forth. But these parallel structures exist here as well. The most important one in my view is is in education. Because the the educators have shown themselves, especially their, their trade unions and, and let's say the managers of schools and, and educational institutions, have shown us their worst side in the, in this current crisis. Uh, they have forgot they apparently forgot about their duty to take care of children's education, and their responsibility to to make valuable humans out of them, and and in that respect we have we have many initiatives here, also thanks to to leaky legislation which allows uh, if you and I want to set up a school here. It's much easier than you would ever think, and and that is that is now uh, progressing. Of uh, course, mm. still running up against enormous obstacles like uh, you have to have building, you have to have reliable staff. You can't just work with a few pensioners. Actually, I'm a member of uh, of uh, a university teachers organization now. Uh, me as a pensioner, uh, which. As soon as uh, the COVID pass will be introduced for higher education, we'll start a more or less alternative uh, university, if only as a Saturday university, but to give to the students the, in, the necessary human contact, the ability for them to exchange ideas with fellows, and uh, because that's even more, however much I like of my own uh, classes, I know that what is taught at the university actually happens between the students and not so much from the, te the teachers, a catalyst, who's just or, or even a, an obstacle. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the people themselves. That's why it mm. was such a crime to, to let students sit with their laptop and stare in an empty space and not see real people, not... not uh, and, and as I say, the, the behavior of the university personnel was appalling, most, most of them. But the group that we have here in Holland now for an alternative uh, university is, is, is very good and is growing. There are now three student organizations mobilizing against the COVID measures, although mm. generally there's enormous lethargy among uh, the, that generation. They're simply waiting for, for the dark clouds to pass away. In front of you, there's a crystal ball. What do you see? Well, fog. <laughs> no, the the un the uncertainty of where where this is heading. Because in the in the early stage of the COVID crisis, there was one uh, Branko Milanovic, a famous uh, writer on inequality, and he said, "The moment the governments will turn to repression." societies can completely collapse. And I, I think that that is the greatest danger now. And, and again, the situation in Canada is very important in that respect. If, if this imbecile of Trudeau 
would uh, try and get his military to attack uh, the, the families who are dancing in the streets now in, in the big cities in uh, Canada with the truckers around them as a sort of yeah, civil guard, uh, then society might collapse in that sense. But I, I'm, you know, you have the famous saying by Gramsci, uh, pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. So pessimism of the intellect will uh, means that when you think about the world situation, it looks very gloomy in, in many respects, not just uh, the current crisis. But uh, optimism of the will means that, and that has also to do with intuition, as I just mentioned, that there are aspects to our humanity which are so powerful and, and creative and able to break out of situations that seem completely hopeless that we have no choice but to rely on that sort of optimism. And, and that's what I do in my personal setting, but also with others. If people want to follow your work, where can they go? Well, I have um, papers and, and even entire books on academia.edu. Uh, uh, and of course, your latest Wait. book is States of Disaster. A sta States of Emergency. Ah, it's called emergency. in English. Yeah, emergency, yeah, yeah. It's published in a number of languages now. Um, yeah, what can I say? And I, I'm, I, I'm on Twitter. I used to have a website, but I, I, I had no time to really do anything with it. No, uh, yeah, ref. I always find uh, I have some uh, modesty is in the way of advertising my own stuff, but I, I think <laughs> par paradoxically, the current situation is becoming more topical. I mean, I, I wrote a book. Trans, which is free on the internet, Transnational Classes and International Relations in 1998. And it gives you, for instance, the history of the World Economic Forum long before this current uh, situation, so more than 20 years ago. Um, uh, the Making of an Atlantic Ruling Class is also free on this academia.edu site. Uh, so if you're really interested, but not one of my discoveries is also in a recent situation is that not everybody is a reader of books. There are sometimes mm. people who, who take a lot out of the real situation and, and who do a lot with a few words and who are not necessarily inclined to sit for days and days and days and, and read long pages of uh, mm. overly academic. Uh, I mean, this new book, is written in a in a very, in a more engaging style, which which allows a very, much broader readership, and it works like that apparently, because it's selling very well. My older work is was really distorted in a way by an overly academic st uh, tone, uh, you know, very very uh, pontificating, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not denigrating it, but that's a, that's a limitation that I probably has to do with your own development you know you have you have to begin to understand what you actually want to say and that uh, a whole life is needed uh, to achieve that situation case van der pale it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for well, joining me in the trenches and i'll follow your cartoons uh, much more closely now my name is germ
This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.